0: Uh, can you please turn up with me, Matthew 24, Matthew 24, and we continue this week looking at verses 15 to 35, it's on page 1000, if you're following the Church Bibles, and uh, also be helpful to have the outline you received as you came in, on the inside of the, one uh, uh, of the handouts you came, you got, as, a, as the outline, be helpful to have that with you as well. Uh, Lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. And we thank you for the encouragements and the warnings that you've given us in your word. We thank you that your Son has been so explicit uh, with us um, and uh, told us about all these things. Uh, We pray that you open our hearts and minds uh, to what he says and to what your Spirit is saying to us now. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, my daughter Hannah had a school concert. And so I did the obligatory fatherly thing and attended the concert. But my wife, my wonderful wife Judy, helped me maximize the use of time at the concert. This is the plan. I would sit and work at a coffee shop nearby. At the appropriate time, Judy would call me. And I would come in and watch Hannah perform, and then I'd go back to working on this sermon. And as I sat there, at the coffee shop, I got this SMS from Judy. Better come only one more before Hannah's. So, in other words, there's only one more dance before the dance that my daughter was going to be in. So what do I do? Of course, immediately I've been my computer, pack up my belongings, head straight to the hall to watch her perform. I wonder if there's anyone here looking for a signal that indicates the day of judgment is very close. Do you want to know when it's time to pack your books and get ready? Well, Jesus actually tells us in this passage, work hard with me on this passage, And by the end of the sermon you will know the sign that tells us when the last dance is before that dance that we're here for. The second coming of the Lord Jesus. You will know what the last thing that must take place is before the final judgment. So you can be ready for the final judgment when it comes. Last week We began this new series by by looking at the beginning of this sermon by Jesus. You recall that Jesus had left the temple. Just like the glory of God had left the temple in the the vision of the prophet Ezekiel, uh, back in 587 BC. And as it happened then, so now, the glory of God moved eastward to the Mount of Olives. And as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, he pronounced judgment on the temple... And the Israelite leadership and the nation that had rejected him. And he pronounced the end of that whole system. The temple would be destroyed, he says. And remember the disciples asked him the question in the beginning of verse, in verse 3 of chapter 24. He says, they said, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Because remember, in the disciples' minds, all those were the same thing. The temple will be destroyed, the Messiah will come, and he will usher in the new age. All one, one thing. Though actually, in our, from our perspective now, we can see these things are, although they're one complex of things, they're separated by time. Have a look at the diagram that's just about to come up. That talks about the overlap of the ages. Right? Times goes from left to right on the, X, on the uh, x-axis. So we've got a creation in the beginning new creation, and we've got the Jesus event uh, in the middle. And we're like that person in in there. With the death and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom has come. The kingdom has been inaugurated. The age to come has begun. And yet we're still in this age. We're in the overlap of the ages. Uh, And then when Jesus returns and the new creation, uh, then is a time when uh, um, the time of the, of, the, of the consummation. Now, for the disciples, they, they wouldn't have had that. Everything is, is, is squashed together. Jesus doesn't actually explain that to his disciples. He, he answers the questions they ask in the terms in which they ask it. And Jesus starts by speaking very definitively about the temple's destruction, And so we've got the whole context leading up to the beginning of that sermon is about the temple's destruction. And as we saw last week, the temple and the whole of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in a terrible, terrible way in the year 70 AD, less than a generation from when Jesus spoke these words. But, by the end of the sermon, he's just as definitively definitively speaking about the final judgment. At the end of chapter 25, In the parable of the sheep and the goats, which finishes off this sermon, he's talking about judging the nations. And the result of that judgment is not destruction of a city, it's the eternal destination of individuals. So in verse 46, some will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So at the beginning of this long sermon, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. By the end of it, he's talking about the final judgment. And somewhere in there, he's made a transition. Different, godly, learned, Bible-believing people have different views about where that transition takes place. In fact, they have different views about how to read this whole passage, especially verses 29 to 31. Very difficult. And I've been been—I've actually been wrestling with that uh, for, for a long time, for the last few months. In fact, originally I had a section in this talk which examined three major views, and I wish I could have done it. Three major views, looks at the Old Testament background, discusses the pros and cons of each view before before coming to, to, to what I think is the, one, is the right one. But the talk was twice the length of this sermon as it is now, and Judy convinced me last night that it was far too long. Right. So, uh, what I'm going to give you now is what I think is right. Uh, and if you want to see the workings, then, then email me and I'll send you a copy, uh, or we can talk about it later, what the, what the other views are. Right. Last week, Remember, Jesus says in verse 4 to 14, before the judgment comes, there are, there will be, on the one hand, false Christs, natural disasters, wars. And on the other hand, persecution, apostasy, false prophets, lawlessness. Many would fall away from the faith, those who endure to the end will be saved, and the gospel will go out into all the world. And we saw last week how this was fulfilled before the judgment of AD 70. And we also saw that that was how it was going to be like down through the centuries as we wait for Jesus' return. Those are the beginnings of the birth pangs. But in this passage that we're looking at today, Jesus is not talking generally now. He's, 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 uh, he's going specifically about the time when the judgment would draw near. When is the time... To flee the city of Jerusalem. Leading up to the destruction of the temple. When is the time to run away? Well, 24 verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then, then that those who are in Judea. Flee from the mountains. And what is this abomination of desolation. That Daniel spoke about? Well. Some of the references in Daniel are, at least initially, to a pagan altar that is, uh, to Zeus that was set up in the temple back in 167 BC on another occasion when the temple was desecrated. A Greek military leader called Antiochus Epiphanes not only set up the temple to Zeus, but also sacrificed a pig in the temple. And the pig for the Jews is like for the Muslims. okay? It's haram. It's terrible. It's like uh, not kosher. Unclean. That was 200 years beforehand. And every Jew in Jesus' day knew what a terrible sacrilege it was that's burnt in on their minds. And yet, at the same time, this is in the past. Something would happen in the future that, that would remind people of that incident. The future that is compared to the time that Jesus gave the sermon. Now, in Luke's gospel, we have it explained a little bit further. Luke records another part of Jesus' explanation of when to flee. And Luke says, uh, and Jesus, uh, he, he records this. He says, when, Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are in the country enter it. So, whatever this abomination of desolation is, it's associated. In some way, with these armies coming against Jerusalem, there's many suggestions about what it is about the armies. Maybe it's the armies themselves, or abomination that would desolate the city. Maybe something else happened at the same time as the armies. It doesn't matter. We know from Luke that these, this abomination happens at the at the time. The same, the same, same it triggers the same thing: the armies surrounding Jerusalem. And Jesus says, in Matthew twenty four fifteen, when you see that, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Right now, Judea was the countryside around Jerusalem. People were to get out of the farms and villages and run away. Get out from the farms, the villages, get out of the country, get up to the mountains. This is dangerous times. No time to pack. No time to play, play, just, just just go. Right, 16 to 18. Let those who are on a house top not go down to take what is in the house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Alas for the women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Those are things that, that will delay. Jesus wants his people out, away from the city. For verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no will never be. Friends, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 was a terrible, terrible event. More than one million people were killed and depending on whose numbers you believe, between 17,000 and 100,000 were sent into slavery. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He wasn't a Christian, but he lived through those times, and he wrote about it. It says, the siege was so bad that there was even mothers eating their babies. Here's what he had to say. The afflictions which befell the Jews were the greatest of all those. Not only that have been in our times, but in the manner of those wherein cities have fought against cities or nations against nations. It appears to me that the misfortunes of all men from the beginning of the world, if they be compared to those of the Jews, are not so considerable as they were. Joseph lived through it. And Jesus says in verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, they were cut short. Everyone would have been killed. So Jesus tells Christians to run away from that situation. They don't belong there anymore. Their loyalty was to Jesus, not to the temple, not to Jerusalem. Get out. And you know what? That's what they did. Josephus tells us that the commander of the Roman army suddenly, surprisingly, and quite inexplicably withdrew from the first siege. And when he withdrew, the Christians all left the city. And then the armies came back and destroyed the city like Jesus said. Now, what are the things that Jesus wanted his disciples to remember at this time of tribulation? What's the danger that they were facing at the time? Yes, there's danger from the Romans. There's a bigger danger. You see, when they're caught up in that kind of situation, when they see the judgment of God coming as Jesus has said, what they would be looking for would be for For Jesus to return, wouldn't they? Because remember, they're thinking this is one big complex, one big event. So what are they what are they what do they look for when they see the destruction of Jerusalem? They'll be looking for Jesus. And the point and at that point they'll be particularly vulnerable for people who claim to be Him. Claim to be the Messiah. And Jesus warns them not to be in verse twenty three. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now think about this. The topic that Jesus is addressing at this point is still not talking primarily about his return at the end of the age. What he's saying is in AD 70 when you see Jerusalem fall, all kinds of people who claim to be the Son of Man don't believe them. Because when the Son of Man really does come, when the end of the age really does come, when I really do return, it'll be like lightning shining from east to west across the heavens. It'll be so public and unmistakable that everyone will know I've returned. And so back in eighty seventy, when you see the, false, the fall of Jerusalem, and you see the false messiahs come out, don't believe them. For verse 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Wherever there is disaster, the false religious teachers will come and prey on people. Don't be trapped. So Jesus, for the first time, he mentions his final return. But he does it in a context to say just don't, 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 don't be deceived by the false messiahs in AD 70. And when Jesus does come, there will be great upheaval. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, this might be literal. The sky turned dark on the day that Jesus was crucified, but more likely it could be symbolic for a great upheaval and judgment, because the same kind of language is used for God's judgment against Babylon in the Old Testament, when Babylon fell. And yet the judgment of Babylon points forward to this final judgment in this big way. And then in verse 30, we have the return of Christ. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn as they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The clouds of heaven symbolize God's presence. Right through the Bible, you see the cloud in the Old Testament. You see that God is present. God is coming. In our Old Testament reading from today, from Daniel 7, we saw the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days from the clouds of heaven. When Christ ascended to heaven, He's taken in a cloud, symbolizing that He's entered into God's presence. In Daniel 7, we see the other side of it come into the presence of the Ancient of Days and given all glory and authority and power for everyone to worship. And now here he comes back in the same way. And there is a sign in verse 30, the sign of the Son of Man. We don't know if the sign of the Son of Man means the sign is the Son of Man, the sign of the Son of Man, or there is some other kind of cosmic sign that, that, that points to him. But whatever it is, there is great mourning among the tribes of the earth. It could be the nations of the earth, Alternatively, it could be translated to the tribes of the land. could be talking about the Jews. But whatever it is, those who have rejected Christ, they, they mourn when they see him. And the Son of Man comes on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. Jesus returns as king to judge the world, to wind up history. And when he comes to do that, he rescues his people to be with him forever before he pours out judgment on this earth. And verse 30, so verse 31, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. The trumpet call symbolizes the Old Testament symbol for the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. And they will gather his elect, his chosen ones, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another. So Jesus brings his people to himself. As I said before, I think this is the right way of reading this passage, but it's not the only way. And the most common objection to this reading is that Jesus says verse 34, in verse 34 that this will happen within one generation. Now, some people try to defend it by saying generation means race, which is true, but it doesn't seem to be what Jesus is talking about in this context, does it? I mean, whatever he's saying, he's saying, this is urgent, this is this, this is going to happen in, in your generation, doesn't doesn't make sense for him to be saying, this is going to happen before your race dies out. But if we actually look at it more closely, we don't have to say the generation is race, because Jesus didn't actually say his final coming will be in one generation. Look at verse 33 carefully. Jesus says, or of verse 32. From the fig tree learn its lesson, as soon as the branch becomes tender, it puts out its leaves, you know summer is near. It's a sign of something that's going to come. So also, verse 33, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Now what are all these things? All these things can't be referring to the coming itself, can it? We can't because it makes no sense to say After Jesus has come, then you know He's near. I mean, He's come. You know He's He knows here. So all these things must be all the things, all the signs that the coming is going to take place, not including the coming itself. Right? So all the things in verse uh, in this passage, verse fifteen, all the way up to 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 to, to verse twenty-eight, because twenty-nine to thirty-one describe the coming itself. In In other words. All the things must take place, that preclude, all the things must take place, let me rewind a little bit. In verse 33, what he's saying is, when you see all these things, all the things right up to verse verse 28, except for the coming itself, then you know that his coming is near, it's about to happen. Does that make sense? Okay? And then he says, verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until what? All these things take place. All these things in verse 34 must be the same as the all these things in verse 33. He's not going to change the all these things in in one verse. So in other words, all the things that will point to the... that will, that will, that will will speak of his coming, that all the signs of his coming, all the preparation of his coming, all the stuff we've seen about 8070, right after verse 28, will happen within that generation, including the fall of Jerusalem, the end of the old order. And once that's taken place, there is nothing left to happen before Jesus' return. And so the word immediately in verse 29 is not so much about time, it's about sequence. Think back to my daughter's concert yesterday. She was in dance number seven, which came immediately after dance number six. Now, suppose there's a bit of delay after dance number six. Suppose the producer wanted to keep the audience in suspense for a little bit. So you're sitting there waiting for dance number seven. There's a delay, but it's still after dance number six. No other dances in between. So Jesus says, verse 32, verse 33, when you see all these things, know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away. Until these things have happened. Until all these things take place. And you see, friends, all the warnings, all the signs, all the precursors that Jesus said would happen before he comes again, have already happened. They all happened in, by AD 70, within one generation, as he said. So as far as this passage goes, what needs to happen between now and the day of judgment? Absolutely nothing. Dance six is over. Dance seven is ready to start. The children are standing on the stage waiting for the lights to go on. The judge is standing at the door. He's done all his paperwork. He's cleared all his preliminaries. He's standing at the door and he could open it at any moment. He's been there since eighty seventy, And any day now he could just turn the handle and walk in. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be another thousand years, because time's not a big thing to him. Day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, but he is ready. And we need to be ready too. So friends, what have we learned from this passage? Firstly, Jesus is Lord. He deserves to be honored and obeyed. He deserved to be honored and obeyed by the nation of Israel when he came. He was the promised one for them. But they rejected him and killed him. And we've seen what Jesus said about Jerusalem. We've seen how it was fulfilled. He was right. They were wrong. He was vindicated. And they came under God's judgment. Friends, Jesus is Lord. He deserves to be honored and obeyed by every one of us. Do not reject him as that nation did. Secondly, we're taught here that Jesus will return. The day of judgment will come. The Son of Man has been exalted and he really will come to wind up history. And as he brought judgment upon Jerusalem, so he will bring judgment on the whole world. Thirdly, we're taught what it will be like when Jesus returns. It will be public, open, unmistakable. Sometimes people ask me, If we will be sure of recognizing Christ when he comes back. my Friends, if you're in doubt, he's not the Christ. False messiahs will come, like they did in AD 70, but we know the manner of Christ's return. Like lightning in the sky. And those who belong to Christ won't be sitting at our computers googling return of Christ, trying to work out if it really is him. We'll be caught up with him. Gathered. To be with him in glory as judgment falls on the earth. If anyone tells you Christ has come back and business goes on as usual, then ignore it. It's wrong. Fourthly, reminded that God cares for his people. Remember how, why the days of the siege of Jerusalem were shortened by God? For the sake of the elect, his chosen ones. Make sure they survived. It's good, isn't it? Midst of chaos and judgment all around, God is in control and he's got our ultimate good in mind. His plans and purposes. bears people in mind. Fifthly, we are reminded to flee the wrath that is to come. Like the people, like the Christians were told to flee the countryside. Don't go into the city. I wonder if there's anyone here whose loyalty is still with the world. Anyone for whom Jesus really isn't Lord. Who still lives as a member of the group, the majority group. In the world that reject Jesus' reign over their lives. And if that's you, please flee. Like those Christians did from Jerusalem all those years ago. Get out of there. Because just as God brought his judgment upon Jerusalem, who rejected Christ in AD 70, God is going to judge the world when Jesus returns. Before God's wrath falls, run urgently. Get out of the city that will face God's punishment. Stop being one of the people who reject Jesus as Lord and turn to him for forgiveness through his death on the cross. Be part of the people that will be saved. And finally, we've seen the sign that Jesus gave us to make sure we're ready for the end. Remember what I promised at the beginning of the sermon? You'll know the last thing that that will take place before the final judgment so you can be ready for the final judgment when it comes. Well, we know now, aren't we? That last thing, that final sign that Jesus gives us in this passage is the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Everything's being fulfilled now in that first generation. So from now on you have to be ready. It could be any moment. Be prepared for the judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the warnings and the encouragements that we need to hear from your word. We thank you that um, you have fulfilled your promises in the past. Promises to bless as well as promises to judge. And we know that you will fulfill your promises in the future. We pray, Heavenly Father, that each one of us here will be people who are saved on that last day. Who have fled, fled the city. Who are trusting in the Lord Jesus. So that when he comes, we will rejoice at his coming rather than mourn. Please help us to be ready. And please, Heavenly Father, may we not get um, deceived by those who would um, deceive us as, as false messiahs may we not be lulled into a false sense of complacency as well. Remember that the judge is at the door. Pray that you help us to live in readiness for the coming of the Lord and live lives that please him now. Trusting in the salvation that he has won for us on the cross. And seeking to honor and seeking to honor him as the Lord who he really is. For all glory and honor and power do belong to him. We pray this in his name. Amen.